0: So tonight I'd like to begin a series of talks on what's called the Five Spiritual Faculties. That is, the faculties of faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. These are five faculties that we become acquainted with on retreat. They are... uh, Faculties that really come forth as we practice, and they become the allies in our mind. They bring great power in their strengthening that enables the mind to step out of confusion, delusion. These faculties are what helps us to help us to um, feel not so. Tossed about when challenges arise, they give strength in the face of the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. these faculties are quite common faculties that we use every day in our lives, you know outside of our practice. We need faith. Um, At any time when we try to do something new, when we're learning something, there's a faith that comes in our capacity to endeavor to undertake something new. You know, as a child, when we first learned to walk, there was this quality of faith. We saw other people doing this great feat of walking, and we had some sense of faith that we too could do it. And then each time that we fell down, it was faith that pulled us up again. We need effort in our lives, effort to do anything. I mean, even to get out of bed in the morning takes some degree of effort. So, you know, it's not something that's new to us. And then we need mindfulness just to be able to connect with life, to know life. You know, even to have any, any sense of what's happening around us. And then concentration. We need it in order to read a book, watch TV, carry on a conversation. Wisdom. We need some basic level of intelligence just to get through life. And so, you know, all of these faculties in one way are very common something that we uh, experience on a daily basis. And yet these faculties, when strengthened, when uh, brought to a full ripening by way of helping us to connect with our experience to know truth, to become more present in our lives, can ripen and mature into powers that bring us to the greatest possibility that we have in being a human being, to know the awakened mind. each of these faculties alone has specific qualities to it. And then, by combining them with the other faculties, we find that they work together in bringing about an inner balance and harmony. We find that these uh, five spiritual faculties, faith is always listed first. first. And it's really the beginning place, you know, where there is some sense of possibility. I'll speak, be speaking more about faith tonight, but just first laying it out as the first of the five uh, spiritual faculties. And we find that when we get in contact with this sense of possibility it brings about a strong energizing quality. It really helps us to have momentum in our practice. It helps us to keep a sustained endeavor, to keep going, to persevering, even though we may meet challenges. And then we find mindfulness, which is that memory to remember, the memory to come back, that capacity to see things as they are, free of all of the conceptual overlays that we so commonly place on experience. And then there's concentration, the concentration that is the connecting and sustaining the attention with what's happening, that this power of concentration helps to bring a stability to the mind. It helps to calm the mind, to bring a steadfastness that enables the mind to open to the deepest pain. And all this helps to bring about wisdom, where we get in touch with an intuitive intelligence that knows, understands, responds wisely. We find that in these spiritual faculties, there are two pairs that help to balance each other. Faith helps to balance wisdom, and effort helps to balance concentration. Alone, these faculties can fall into um, some tendencies that make them uh, standing alone not as powerful. That they can actually lead into habituated tendencies that uh, could be disruptive to practice. And so, an example of this is faith that if faith is, you know, based in blind faith or becomes very zealous and it's not grounded in wisdom that we won't even have the capacity to stay steadfast in the practice. I don't know if you've had ever had the experience where you've seen something new and the it the faith becomes strength strength strengthened. <laughs> um, That there is a sense of verified faith, but the mind gets really enchanted with this. And we lose the capacity to connect. That the it leads to, you know, this strong energy that is not grounded. And we get caught in the mind, you know, profound in proliferation, thinking about, um, kind of just riding on this energy of faith. But it isn't embodied, it isn't grounded in a way that helps to keep us going. Whereas wisdom, without this quality of faith, can become very dry, can become intellectual, analytical, and faith helps wisdom to. Have a vibrancy, an aliveness, an application in the here and now. With energy, we find that it, if it's too strong, it can really agitate the mind. And that concentration, if it doesn't have enough energy or effort, uh, goes into sinking mind the mind becomes too still. So, these faculties work together, and it's mindfulness that really binds them all together, because mindfulness helps to distinguish which faculties are present and what needs balancing. And this becomes much clearer in the course of a retreat, that it Times we might notice that there's a lot of exuberance, and that wisdom needs to be strengthened, just to be able to let things be seen as they are. Sometimes the concentration starts to deepen, and it moves into the sinking mind, where you know there is, you know, um, the mind is not so awake not so alert. And so we just bring in a little bit more effort or energy to connect, see clearly, and then the balance comes in. Or if the effort starts getting overly exuberant, you know, applying too much and it agitates the mind, we know that we just need to strengthen concentration a little bit maybe coming back to the breath for a few moments to steady the mind. So over the next few weeks I will be speaking about each of these faculties to help us gain understanding of what they are and how they strengthen in our practice and how this does make them An ally or support that we can rely on. So, the first of these being that of faith. And faith is where we get in touch with a sense of possibility. A sense of possibility that takes us into a larger context of life than living a life that's just based upon satisfying our whims and fancies. Or a sense of possibility that opens us up to something greater, than a small, contracted self. Sometimes we may, as a child, have had a moment where we felt a part of life, and not at odds with life. And out of that, there was this arising of a sense of possibility, The sense of possibility may get reinforced when we meet people who embody qualities, who who appear to be living in a wise way, a kind way. The sense of possibility can come when we hear teachings that resonate with us, that have a ring of truth to them, These moments in life can have a strong impact when we listen to them. They help us to set forth on the journey of awakening where we taste of some possibility and then seek to embody this in our lives, we seek to come to know truth in our lives, to know for ourselves. It can help bring a lot of energy to our practice, to the journey, if we listen. I know sometimes it brings up fear that we have a profound moment in life and then move into a state of fear about the implication of living honoring what has transpired and a sense that we can't do it. Sometimes people shut down after these moments. It feels like too much. There's some concept in the mind of what it might mean. And yet, If we allow these moments, if we listen to these moments, it helps us to have the energy to embark on the great journey of awakening. In Pali, the word that gets translated as faith is sada. And it literally means to place one's heart upon. In Buddhist teachings, faith is not about believing in some higher power that is going to save us. It's not about having dogmatic beliefs. But it's about finding for ourselves that which is trustworthy, that which we can have confidence in. The Buddha described this practice as being a come-and-see practice, to come and see for ourselves And so then, you know, in hearing that, sometimes you you kind of wonder, well then, where's the faith? You know, what's, what's the faith in? And so it really helps to broaden what we may have as a view of faith, as the belief in something, to really looking at what the qualities that faith in the Buddhist teachings has. In Buddhist teachings, faith points towards the quality of trust, the quality of confidence, devotion, and a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. So, looking at each of these, so first, trust. Trust is essential in our practice, that without trust we will never be able to move out of the confines of the known, that there will be this sense of trying to control, hang on to, trying to stay within a comfort zone in our practice. But with this quality of trust, it helps us to relax. It helps to have an ease in the heart, an openness of heart. It's a relaxation of the heart. Trust is one of these qualities that nobody can tell us how to trust. It's something that we have to discover for ourselves. People can point to what is helpful. And yet, it's not something that can be scientifically proven, but can be clearly known within our own experience. We experience it at times in our practice when we simply have the willingness to keep coming back over and over again. There is a trust that this is helpful, useful. There's trust when we aren't constantly trying to create something in our experience, but that we're trusting if we keep turning up as best we can, moment by moment, what needs to be seen will be seen. If we look at trust our own experience. It's those moments where we let go of the conceptual mind. We let go of our ideas, beliefs about how things are, and look directly into our experience in the moment. Trust can be as simple as having an idea of this body, and letting go of it being my body and experiencing it directly and immediately. Trust allows us to come into immediate contact with life. We're able to let go of rigid ideas of how things are, and touch into the experience of how things are. You were going to have a wonderful teaching from another teacher, but it's not here. (laughs) So uh. when we don't trust, there's grasping, wanting, the thinking that we need something else. When there is trust, there's the relaxing into who we are, what we are, that this is enough. It really is what helps us to be silent, still. What helps us to be fully present without having to do anything different. It takes a tremendous amount of trust just to be. But we start trusting in the power of awareness itself. Trusting in just this. and the men, then the mind comes in, but wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> a little, get, get things a little better before we trust. That's just the voice of doubt. That's just the habituated mind of wanting. Seeing that, can we relax back into trust, letting this be enough, can let it be a really simple practice grasping trusting grasping trusting we can really gain a lot of trust in the practice by just turning up moment after moment after moment and You know, I've heard it from so many people that, you know, the judging mind says, not good enough. I'm not doing this right. You know, it's just not happening the way it should be. But they keep going, keep persevering. And then it seems to be that despite how we judge it, the practice seems to work. And we really begin to see how we don't have to do it. We don't have to create it. That, you know, beginning to trust in this power of awareness itself. This is what frees the mind. And out of this, we gain confidence. Out of this comes great joy. Out of this comes understanding. And this becomes the bedrock on which we place our heart upon. I always get heartened by the words of the Buddha, When he said, If it were not possible, I would not ask you to do it. It takes me to that place that senses possibility. And faith helps us to live true to that place, to keep going, to keep trusting, even though there are challenges, even though it's difficult. Another aspect of faith in Buddhist teachings is the quality of devotion. And I know that many of us in this culture may not think of ourselves as being the devoted type that um, you know can bring about an idea of being devoted to someone, something, some guru. Um, and therefore, you know, hear it and just kind of cringe inside. And yet if we look in our own experience, we may find that this quality of devotion is quite strong, really propels us day to day as we sit here. I remember a time in my own life where, you know, I had I had been devoted to someone, a guru, and had been fully immersed in a particular path, and then at some point felt quite burned by that, and so not wanting to uh, really follow the path of the bhakti, the path of devotion. And then was meditating, and was so passionate about meditation, and then began to see that there was this same quality of devotion, but it was not so connected to another being, but it was connected to the discovery of truth. And it was manifesting through great diligence, strong effort, strong energy to practice wholeheartedly. And getting in touch with a sense of devotion really helps to energize the practice. I have a friend that calls it the energizing bunny. It really brings a vitality to practice. When, you know, it's like really bringing our heart to the path. What's meaningful from this place of possibility? Devotion also has within it respect, reverence, humility. It's also a quality that, to me, also naturally comes forth as we practice. Because as we see how the practice works, there just comes great respect, great admiration for those who carry forth these teachings, this practice. Great sense of gratitude. See, I'd like to share something that was spoken by a Thai forest master ajahn man and this, this he was said to have spoken on, or described on the day of or night of his full enlightenment so this is after um moment of inwa- awakening or deepening understanding It said, throughout the remainder of that night, Acharya Mun considered with a sense of dismay how pathetically ignorant he had been in the past, being dragged endlessly from one existence to another, like a puppet. He wept as he thought of how he finally came upon a pool of crystal-clear, wondrous-tasting water. He had reached the sparkling pool of pure Dhamma that the Buddha and his Arahant disciples encountered and then proclaimed to the world over 2,500 years ago. Having at long last encountered it himself, he tirelessly paid heartfelt homage, prostrating himself over and over again to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Should people have seen him then, tears streaming down his face as he prostrated over and over again, surely they would have assumed that this monk was suffering immensely, shedding tears so profusely. They probably would have suspected him of beseeching the guardian spirits living in all directions to help ease his pain, or else of being on the verge of madness, for his behavior was extremely unusual. In fact, he had just arrived at the truth of the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha with utmost clarity, as epitomized in the maxim He who sees the Dhamma sees the Tathagata, this is how the Buddha referred to himself, and thus abides in the presence of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Acharya Mun was simply engaged in the kind of conduct befitting someone who is overwhelmed. By a sincere sense of gratitude, maybe you've experienced it in your life, in moments of deepening understanding, and just this appreciation for, you know, the Buddha himself, who, you know, over two thousand five hundred years ago, discovered the end of suffering. And then he didn't stop there. He went on to teach the way. He didn't just have people highly revere him. But he said, it's possible for you too to understand this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes when we meet a being who embodies qualities that we value, appreciate, um, it really helps to strengthen the sense of possibility to make it seem possible for us here and now. His Holiness the Dalai Lama is somebody that, to me, just helps my faith shoot up (laughs) off the the top of the roof. Um, Just in the way that he lives his life, the understanding that he imparts to others, the example that he sets. I remember being in uh, Central Park in New York some years ago when he was giving a public teaching. And it seemed to me like an event that would most match what would have happened in the time of the Buddha. Because in the time of the Buddha, it was said that so many people came to hear him speak. And sitting in Central Park that day, there was just a sea of people that had come to hear him speak. And during that talk, he spoke about the many challenges that we face in life. And he was hitting upon it on different levels. He was speaking about, you know, the environment he was speaking about animal rights, and he was speaking about it on simple levels like the the difficulties we have with our next door neighbor. And the whole time he spoke about it quite at length. The whole time he was speaking about it, he never mentioned the situation between the Tibetans and the Chinese, and yet it, you know it just kept popping into my mind, and you know seemed as if that, you know, here was a man who really knew suffering. He wasn't speaking lightly about the challenges we face. He knew it from his own experience. He knew it from the fact that every day he speaks to Tibetan people who have faced atrocities that have suffered a lot in their own life. And then at one point, he just threw back his head with his great laugh that he's so well known for and he said and still I am happy this is the possibility that we all have and this is what our faith helps us to stay true to we can find that faith can deepen at times when we least expect it. It can deepen at times when we are really brought to our knees, when you would expect the heart to break, but it doesn't. It opens. It's when the struggle goes out And in those moments, there is peace and ease amidst suffering. And it begins to show us that even though we in our lives may have had great suffering, we may have struggled a lot, that there is the possibility to know freedom. I'd like to share a poem from an Australian cartoonist and poet. His name is Michael Lunick. He's very well known in Australia. And often there's a dharmic twist to his poetry. When the heart is cracked or broken, Do not clutch it, let the wound lie open. Let the wind from the good old sea blow in To bathe the wound with salt and let it sting, let a stray dog lick it, let a bird lean in the hole and sing, a simple song like a tiny bell, and let it ring. In the depths of suffering, we can let our hearts ring. the quality of confidence. And confidence here differs from pride or arrogance. It is the confidence in which we place our hearts upon. It's a confidence that grows as understanding deepens. When we first begin practice, we may have you know, just an initial faith that comes from having heard something, some moment of inspiration, but it isn't strong, it isn't firmly established. But as we practice and we begin to see things in our own experience, have our own understanding, we get what's called verified faith. we may have a moment where we experience impermanence in a new way, in a way that really helps us to see the futility of hanging on and allows the mind to drop into a place of trust. And we become more confident. We have moments in our life where we don't just act habitually, but an intuitive wisdom, intuitive intelligence comes forth. And there's a sense of confidence We begin to have confidence in the lawful unfolding of life, the nature of life. There's less fear, anxiety. Confidence becomes strengthened in the course of a retreat, through just seeing, through our own experience, different aspects of the teachings. And it may just be a little moment, but in seeing something in a new way, we you know, kind of think, well, if that's true, then maybe some of these other teachings are true. And so it helps to, us to apply our energy to keep going to hold the vastness of the teachings. We find that this confidence comes in our lives when we face challenges, challenges that in the past may have really thrown us about, but because the practice is there, there's some re- reliable means of being with this. Doesn't mean it's not difficult. Doesn't mean it's not. It's. Not. <laughs> is it not pleasant or unpleasant? Doesn't mean it's pleasant. Um, but. We have confidence in bringing mindfulness to the experience to help to stabilize to help to be with to understand deeply that which is transpiring and when We have the qualities of trust, devotion, confidence. There comes about a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. We no longer are uncertain about what we do, why we do it. There comes conviction. There comes a willingness to walk this path for however long it takes. And there comes a great joy in simply being on the path. At one point in my own practice, I was practicing with Sayadaw Ujanaka, one of my teachers from Burma. And I would go in and report to him every day about my experience. There was interviews six days a week. And, you know, sometimes struggling, up, you know, just the usual in practice, up, down, whatever. And then at some point I started to notice that he seemed to have great confidence uh, in my practice, much more confidence than I had. And then what I realized was his confidence wasn't in me, Mioshan. His confidence was in the Dhamma. And that in someone coming, turning up, and simply doing the best that they could, that it was inevitable that the Dhamma would reveal itself. And, you know, just seeing his strength of conviction, confidence, really helped me to gain confidence. It happens that as faith is strengthening, there will come times when doubt rattles it, sometimes severely so, painfully so. Our faith gets shaken. It's really important to understand that this is a part of the journey. It doesn't mean we're failing. What we need to learn to do is when doubt surfaces, shows its face, that what happens in moments of doubt is there's separation, standing back, analyzing, moving into skepticism, thinking about, figuring out. What we need to do then is to be able to recognize it, see it, and instead of distancing, use it as a reminder to look more closely, to... Connect and sustain our attention with experience and let experience speak to us directly instead of what we think about our experience. And then there's no room for doubt to arise. But until our faith becomes unshakable, this doubt will keep arising. doubt is a part of what happens so when it arises recognizing become familiar with because it has a you know it's so often convincing it's the real thing that's happening you know it's got the real lowdown on what's happening but you can feel it in that there's distance that there's a sense of being caught in one's head And yet, if we believe it, we lose the capacity to come close to experience. But if we can recognize it, know the flavor of it, and then turn it into a healthy inquiry, So faith has qualities of trust, devotion, confidence, a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. Faith is what helps us to energize our practice, helps us to engage wholeheartedly on this journey. It's what helps us to enter into the unknown. Helps us to enter into the mystery of life. Faith helps us to have the capacity to deeply rest in this moment, to trust that what we have is enough, what we are is enough. It brings about a great relaxation in the heart. Confidence. Clarity. I'd like to share just a a part of a poem from Wendell Berry. In the ancient faith, what we need is here. And we pray not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need is here. What we need is here. Can we relax into this? Can it be enough? Let's just sit for a moment.